Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Woo. That's awesome, isn't it? What a great song. What a great way to just enter into God's presence in the Word of God. Excited about it. I want you to know that uh, I'm not a softball fan, but I got to bring this up to y'all because I did in the last service as well. But uh, not that I don't care. I played softball years ago. But uh, the girls' softball, I didn't even know they were playing. But I got a text that, you know, Oklahoma, um, the University of Oklahoma Sooners, the girls won the, the World Series for the stuff. Yeah. yeah, those of you that are fans of the Sooners, great. Good job. Uh, you know, uh, but it's a secular university. And like most of, most of our universities, they're terrible. And they're teaching the wrong things. And God save our kids that are in there being indoctrinated in that garbage, right? But, you know, if you guys uh, paid attention, if you didn't, you should look it up. Because ESPN is, um, you know, they're owned by Disney and they're all corrupt and they're all trying to take our kids to hell and teach them wrong things. And uh, that's the ES. I don't watch ESPN. I don't follow them. I'm, I'm a sports fan, but I won't follow their garbage. So this is not a political platform. I'm just telling you the truth. They all are being owned by the devil and they're teaching lies to our culture around us. And we need to be aware of this, right? So what happened this week was pretty much in their face, which was amazing because these four girls were up on that stage after they won the World Series in, uh, I mean, of the you know, softball, and the guy asked uh, the girl about the joy that she had of winning, and she just absolutely told him there is no joy in softball. Her joy is found in Jesus Christ. Yes. You're going to win, you're going to lose in softball, but with Christ we have our joy. And she began to just talk about her relationship with Jesus. There was four girls up there, and the other girl, as soon as she stopped, started in and said, I, I'm right 100% in agreement. She talked about Jesus, and the next girl stepped up, and she talked about Jesus. And I'm like, Lord, it is so awesome how you do stuff. Isn't that amazing? Seriously, you should, not right now, but later today, look that up. It's worth watching. I watched it twice, and I was just like, God, this is so amazing and so cool that these girls are making this statement on a public place in that setting and right in the face of everything ESPN stands against. I loved it. It's amazing. I am praising God for that, and I am now glad that the Oklahoma Sooners won the championship. It's awesome. Gave that platform to them. It's pretty amazing. Don't care otherwise, but thank you, Jesus. It's all good. All right, so, hey guys, we need to be aware of what's happening around us because there is a whole wide world of garbage out there that is trying to indoctrinate a generation to ignore God, to ignore what God has done and to ignore who he is. And we as the church need to be alive and well and aware of what's happening around us. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment and you need to use that discernment as the Spirit of God leads you. Awake, church, awake. We need to awake. All right, did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days in the last week reading or listening to God's word? If you did, say yes. yes. That was very mild. Did you spend time alone with God this week with no agenda of your own? Yes. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Yes. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, talents, and resources? Yes. Share Jesus with someone this week? Yes. Invite someone to church with you today? Yes. Let's look in the word of God. <laughs> Father, we love you. Lord, submit myself to you right here and now. Thank you for this moment, not only for those that are here in this house, but God, those that are joining online, wherever they are, God, thank you. Holy Spirit, that you are present. We ask that you would anoint these lips, for we have nothing to say in the flesh. We only want you to speak, God, so speak through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus shared in the Passover with the disciples, he was there in the upper room, and it was the night before he would give his life for us. And in that room, he knew that everything that was planned from the beginning for our redemption was coming to pass. And those that were in that upper room celebrating Passover were clueless. The disciples were there. They were celebrating Passover. They were glad to be with Jesus, but they didn't have any idea what was about to happen. So... When we look into Scripture and we see some things that we need to understand that God teaches us and shows us from, in the night that he would be betrayed, after dinner, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, when you look into Bible and history, foot washing was actually taking place in Genesis, very beginning. The reason for this was, as you know, back then they didn't have shoes like we wear, 
They oftentimes were barefoot or they had a sandal that just had a bottom on it and they walked in the dirt and they were dirty. So when they came into the house, even if they had a sandal on, usually those were taken off at the door and their feet were washed. So they didn't track the dirt in. Another thing is, is in those cultures there, they would lounge when they eat. They didn't have like tables and chairs like we do. They would lounge around so that, you know, maybe your dirty feet were next to the person over there. You don't want to do that. I don't want to eat my dinner with your dirty feet in front of my face. So you wash them, right? Okay, but see, there's something here that's important for us to see because they'd already eaten when Jesus got up and washed their feet. So what is significant about that and why did it happen then? When we look into the history of foot washing and we look into the Bible and in history about it, it was usually performed by a servant. So it was someone that was of low social standings and standards. If there was no servant in the home, one of the sons would do it. And if there were no sons, the wife would do it. Now, that's not being disrespectful. I want you to understand something. It's really important for us to see this because you see what it is is then the head of the house didn't do it. The head of the house made sure any guest coming into the house was served. And so it should be served in their mindset by someone of a lower standard or standing in that community. So as we see this unfolding before us here on this night specifically, as they come into that room to have the Passover dinner together, obviously nobody washed anybody's feet. So obviously nobody in that room felt that they were the one to be a servant to the others. They all felt like they were here with Jesus, and therefore they were above such an act. So when you read the scriptures there in that story, there's so much more to it when you begin to see the context. Because what it tells us is when supper was over, Jesus got up, took off his outer robe, put on a towel, and began to wash their feet. If you've ever experienced a foot washing, it is both humiliating, humbling, and um, God shows up. <laughs> now, when we step, by the way, just don't get nervous. I don't have a foot washing planned right now, okay? Just, so everybody just relax. Uh, everybody's thinking like, do I have holes in my sock? Or my feet? <laughs> there, it's all good. Just relax. Listen to what it says here in John 13. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? All right, nobody answered, by the way. Of course not, because they were petrified and mortified as they sat there. Jesus, Peter was the only one, if you know the story, that even spoke out like, you're not touching my feet. Jesus said, oh, yes, I am. Okay, check it out. Now he says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And I'm just going to pause there. We're going to keep reading. But I find this uh, significant and challenging and um, something that is... Uh, not recognized in the Protestant church. And I don't know why. We recognize the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and we should, but we don't even talk about foot washing. So, you know, I have to do annual reports to our denomination. I do that stuff, and they ask, you know, you have to say something, and I've said it multiple times, like, why don't we recognize foot washing, and nobody's ever written me back. They probably don't read my report. I don't know. Anyway, I, I wonder because, you know, when my wife and I, Kim, uh, were doing, we did marriage retreats and we've done things and God led us to have a foot washing at the end of our marriage retreats and classes where we had the husband wash the wife's feet in symbolism of Jesus and what he called us to be. And I'm telling you right now that I don't know how many times I'm going to guess probably eight to ten different occasions where we did that. And every time we went, we were like, well, I don't know if God wants us to do this again, but he did. And every time we did it, the Spirit of God would fall in that room, man. Like, amazing. It's an incredible moment where God shows up. 
Now listen, as I see this, unfold before us, Jesus says something here that's pretty incredible. He says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So he did tell us to do this, but we don't do it. The reason we don't do it is it's both uh, humbling and it's like super cringy feeling for me if I'm sitting there and someone wants to wash, I'm freaked out by someone wanting to wash my feet. You know, like, it's like you are, I am uncomfortable. It requires a surrender of yourself to even be washed. I get it when Peter was saying like, Lord, you're not touching my feet. No, please don't. And Jesus like, yeah, you're going to get it later. Just sit there, boy. You know, that surrender moment, it's so crazy. But look, church, I'm looking at this, and there's something more that Jesus wants us to see in this event that he wants to reveal to us. As we continue reading there, and he is saying to them, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Oh, so Jesus is saying like, hey, you know, we have standards and we see people in different levels of their importance and value. And, and we have that in our world around us. And Jesus is like, you know, I'm bringing something a little different here. Jesus is telling us, it's like, you know, you need to see yourself as the servant, no matter who you are, no matter what status you're in, no matter social standing you find yourself you need to see yourself as a servant. This is completely contrary to our flesh. It's something abnormal to us. We know the central truth of what Jesus is teaching here is that he is calling his people to servanthood. We know that. He is calling us to be servants, not self-serving, but others-minded. But what we also know is that that's contrary to the way that we function. That's not natural. It's not. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully or contrary to God, I'm seeing in our flesh, it is absolutely not natural for me to serve others and not think about myself or have a thing of wanting to be served for me. So as we understand that, I want us to look at verse 17 for a moment because I see this as something, you know, intricate and valuable to us as Jesus says this now that you know these things God will bless you for doing them you know what he's saying right here once you have revelation there's a requirement of obedience I'm gonna say that again so we get it all sunk in once you have a revelation it requires obedience so as we look at this, he's like, man, when the God, the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, church, it is expected that we act upon it. Well, I have action steps at the end of the message on purpose. It's like, if you just came in here to say amen and go on your way, we'll talk about that aspect of people in the message today. But if that's all you're doing, it's pointless. And it's doing no spiritual good for us to simply sit in the church and say amen to what we think is right. If there's no application, if there's no transformation, if we are not surrendering to what God says, it means nothing. But the Holy Spirit is here revealing truth to us because the Holy Spirit wants transformation. God is doing something and he died for us that we were just singing about, which was amazing. He did this so that there would be transformation in us, in every single one of us. So when God the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, he expects us to follow through with it. Surrender to what God is saying. Guess what we're going to say next? Trust. <laughs> what it looks like or feels like doesn't matter. We are surrendered to what God says. We're trusting in him in the moment, and then we have to obey. Therefore, we have to put into action what God has revealed to us. So again, we go back to that same similar pattern of surrender, trust, and obey. It's what God is calling us to, church. And when the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, it is God saying, this is me speaking. I'm asking you to trust me in it. Now I'm asking you to step into it. So now as we look at this, you see Jesus said, God will bless you when you do it. So it's after the fact, not before. 
we're all waiting for that emotional feeling like to prompt me into doing it. He's like, I've already told you to do it. Now do it. And so once you do it, God says he'll bless you. Oh, we're waiting for the blessing. Well, you're going to keep waiting. Because he said it right there. God will bless you when you do it. Okay, let's go on. Mark 10. This is uh, something we're going to talk about as we go along here because this truth is, is it's just so common here. Listen, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. They're talking to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. All right, so put this scenario in your mind here. Here's Jesus, the 12 disciples, and James and John kind of grab Jesus and take him to the side. They did. That's happening right here. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Okay, so this is self, selfishness. This is flesh. Remember, the disciples were following Jesus with a desire to follow Jesus, but without a spirit to follow Jesus. See, Jesus hadn't died, resurrected, and the Holy Spirit hadn't filled them yet. So what we're watching here is flesh-driven followers. And there is a very big difference between a flesh-driven follower and a spirit-led follower. And so when you see this, they're like, we see you. We know you're going to sit on a throne. We know something amazing is coming. We want to be recognized. Put me right there on top with you so that everybody knows that's John, that's James, that's Jesus. Self. All right, so let's see what goes on here. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit on places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. <laughs> they were clueless. We're able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So the desire for self-elevation, self-recognition, the flesh desiring something was clueless about what actually they were asking for. They were still envisioning their vision for what God was going to do, not God's vision for what God was going to do. And so in their own mind, they thought, we want this. And he's like, you don't even know what you're asking for because what you're really asking for is death. That's what they were asking for, and they didn't know it, did they? Seriously. They were going to give their lives and their faith, you know? He's like, you even know what you're saying right now. You don't. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So now... As we look at this, something happens now. So in this little conversation over here with John and James and Jesus, they're like, oh yeah, no, we're in. We're going to do this thing. Let's make it happen. Let's give us those places. And the tenor over here, they're like, oh, hey, what was going on? What were you guys talking about? Listen to what it says. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Like, you guys are morons. What are you doing, man? Who do you think you are? We've been following too, and here we are over here. So what's happening here is we see a division happening because they're saying, hey, you left us out of it. And they're saying, like, we're better than you because it's all about self. And these 10 over here, they feel neglected because they're still in their flesh, and they're like, if you're lifted up, we should be lifted up. We're all in this thing together. You guys are jerks. We don't like you. So it's, there's this problem happening. So Jesus calls them all together. We're reading in the scriptures and he says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so he's like, this is right in your face. You guys are still operating in your flesh. 
This is not what I'm calling you into. This isn't a life that I'm calling you to be elevated in, to be seen in, to put a light on you, to make you spectacular. He's saying, as a matter of fact, if you want to be that, this is how that happens. You get on your knees and you wash feet. You don't see yourself as better than anyone else. That when you see people, you see them as someone that you can serve and some capacity to bring glory to God and for his kingdom. It's crazy. So here it is. You see, church, like the root of sin is self. We know this. And so we live in a world that is tainted by sin. So everything out here in this world completely indoctrinates us to self-serve. Everything is given to us saying, you need this because it's going to make you see. Look, I mean, you know this, right? Like if you drive a certain vehicle, if you own a certain thing, if you live in a certain community, people see you differently. They do. You know that. You look at them. If a, uh, you already know this. You see it all the time when we see them in a specific car. You don't even know if they own it. But you see that car, you see that person, and you already know, like, well, they make money or they're broke because they got that car. One or the other, but usually we think they got money, right? I mean, am I right? Or like, they pull up in front of this house, and it's like, oh, I don't live in that part of town. So we already have this in our minds. And so Jesus is like, look, we're, we want you to understand. He's saying, you're my followers. We're going to see things differently. It's not about your social standing, your bank account your possessions. It's not that you are seen as a leader. He said, as a follower of mine, you're going to be seen as you serve. And he said, when you do that, that's when you get lifted up. Because God himself is the one that will lift us up because he sees us. Now, church, as we look at this, we remember, see, self-serving is the root of sin. And throughout his ministry, Jesus taught servanthood. He continued to model this and teach it all throughout. But remember, we're also talking about pre-death, resurrection, and Pentecost. And so because of that, this conversation among the disciples was a common theme. It was. It was something that you hear when you read the Gospels. It comes up pretty regularly. And it's pretty amazing to me as I watch that happen. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see the different views of the ministry of Jesus from those, guys, those writers' perspectives with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And yet you'll continue to find these guys kind of being about self. And so um, when we look in Luke 22, when we're looking to Luke 22, I want you to understand the context of what we're about to read. This is what John was just writing about in John 13, the upper room experience at the night of Passover before Jesus would give his life. And so when you see what just took place and you put this all together, they just had the Passover. Jesus stands up and says, hey, this is my body. This is broken for you. I've longed to have this Passover meal with you. This is going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, everything God was planning was about to unfold before their eyes. He gives them the bread and says, eat it takes the cup, praises God for it. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Tells them to drink it. They've had all this. He washes their feet. And guess what's going to happen next? Right after that encounter, when he says, I'm teaching you something to be servant. Listen to what it says in Luke 22, 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. In that environment, in that moment, and that encounter with Jesus washing their feet, did they learn anything in that moment? Nothing. But church, remember this. They were still serving in the flesh. They didn't have the Spirit. They didn't get it. And so as much as they heard, and as much as they wanted to follow Jesus, as much as they said they would do for him, they didn't. All of them said they'd die with him. They ran. You read the Gospels. It tells us this. Oh, yeah, maybe everybody else will desert you, but I won't, Peter said. There they go. When he's arrested, they're all running in the other direction into the darkness. You see, the flesh can say anything, but it's self-serving. And when it comes down to it, if we're being led by the flesh, it will be seen by our service. 
But when we're led by the Spirit, there's transformational things that happen, and we are different people because we live differently. If you look forward and jump through death, resurrection, Pentecost, and you see these disciples standing before the leaders as they're being questioned, they had boldness because the Spirit of God was there and they were facing the same people that condemned Jesus to die only about 50 days prior, 50 to 60 days, and they stood there and said, we want you to know that you killed the Lord's Messiah. A complete transformation. No longer about self-preservation, but about God being elevated and Jesus being known. See, that's a difference between a flesh servant and a spirit-led servant of Jesus Christ. And so now as we look at this and it says that they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them, Jesus told them, in this world the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. Now this sounds exactly the same, right? Well, it is. He's selling the same message Why? Because they hadn't heard it yet. They hadn't heard it yet. They're arguing about who's going to be what and what place they're going to hold. So he tells them again, great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Before I go any further, listen to what he said. It will be different. Isn't that awesome? He's like, I know you guys are jacked up right now and you're all about yourself. It's going to be different. Why? Because he knew the Holy Spirit was coming. Man, it's awesome. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. See, the untransformed heart, the heart that is not filled with the Holy Spirit, is naturally self-serving. And you cannot be not self-serving if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you. I'm not saying you won't do random acts of kindness. No, your heart will not be anything other than self-serving in the moment of truth when when the dirt hits the road, rubber hits the road, whatever's going on. I'm saying like, you know, I've been living in the desert too long. Uh, You know, when the rubber hits the road, you know, that's when the Spirit's going to show itself, whether it's Spirit-led or flesh-led. And so as we listen to this and see what he's saying, he's like, man, you know, this is something that needs to be transformed within you. When the Holy Spirit fills the heart of a believer, only then do we have the transformational power of God at work within us to teach, guide, empower and be transformed because it's what the Holy Spirit does and Jesus said he would do, right? So we have to be retaught that it's not about me, that it's not about me. And there is a lot of people in the church that need to learn this lesson still. It's not about me. We go to other churches, we find our own way, we do other things because we're not being served. Okay, we'll just leave that alone. The life we are called to live as a follower of Jesus Christ is a life of serving to others with the kingdom of God at the heart of it all. Jesus modeled this life for us. I mean, you read the Gospels, he's continuously serving, moved with compassion, touching lives, speaking truth, giving us the example. Now, he did all this and he expects us to follow him. Remember, he said, Go and make disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, teach them to obey these things and all that. I'll be with you to the end. So we're supposed to be Christ followers. In other words, we're supposed to live our lives like Christ did. We all do know that, right? I mean, can I get an amen on that? So we're supposed to live our life like Jesus. So when Jesus is teaching, he tells this story about a farmer And he's like using something that they're all very well aware of because it's a very agricultural community, farming community, if that word's too big for you. Uh, Just kidding. All right. (laughs) So what they did is, you know, they had a bag of seeds and and the person would go out and they would scatter those seeds because they're planting, right? They didn't have all the machines we have today and they would plant those seeds. And as they threw them out, Some of them would, you know, go in the right places and grow well, and some of them would be on the top, and different things would happen. And so Jesus used that illustration because they all understood it, and he was telling them something about the Word of God. And he was saying, like, this is the same thing when 
the word of God is spoken. It's put out there, but it doesn't all affect everyone the same way. And so he goes on to explain it in Matthew 13. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away that seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't even last long, they fall away and as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest. They hear it, receive it, and they act upon it. 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Friends, the place we fit in this parable is still up in the air. I hope you know that. You and I, everyone that's listening, in this room, online, wherever you are, it's still up in the air where we fit into this. Some hearing these words are totally not getting it. They're thinking like, this dude is just jabbering. I don't get what he's talking about. He's like, what is wrong with him? Why do those people go there? And they're like, done, I'm out of here. When the devil's like, well, you just heard truth, but I will take that out of you so you don't even think about it. Jesus said, and they'll just go on their way like clueless. He tells us, you see, now some are going to hear it. They're going to be excited about it. They'll be like saying, amen, yeah, that's awesome, good preaching. But they only say amen in church and they go out and they don't live any different. It's like no application, no receiving where it transforms and we're changed and made different. Some are hearing it with sincerity, intending to make application in our lives. But we allow everything out there in the world to choke out the blessings of God. So consumed with the world crisis, the wars and the rumors of wars, economic issues and collapse and failures, health problems, as a result of self now raises up and takes control tries to fix everything ourselves rather than surrender to God and just trust Him through it all. <laughs> and we're choked out. Do we trust God or not? I mean, church, seriously, this is what Jesus is teaching us. He's like, man, when you get God's Word and it's in you and the Spirit of God is alive in you, you don't even worry about that junk. It's not saying that it doesn't exist. It's not, not out there. It's out there. So What? Do we serve the living God or not? Is he God or what? I mean, like, man, let it go. Trust him. I mean, I want to receive what God has for me, and I'll be the servant that he called me to be, and I'm not going to worry about that junk. I don't want to be one of those lords lording it over. Goodness me, man, Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, church, like, receive the word. Let it be down inside of you. Let the Spirit of God bring it alive. Act upon it. Let the Spirit transform you so that you are different. Some people in the, in the room, those that are listening online, you're going to absolutely get it. Spirit of God's moving. You're getting it. Your journey of surrender, trust, and obey continues. You're like walking in the fullness of God. He's transforming who you are. People are noticing that you are different. You're giving glory to God, and he is working in your life. Man, that's the fourth group. I want to be part of that group. The only way that's going to happen, church, is when we are following the Spirit's lead and surrendering ourselves to him and doing everything he's asking us to do. Otherwise, we're going to be one of the other group. You do understand that we have to make that choice, right? It's up to us to be obedient. God transforms lives. He does not leave us stagnant. He does not allow us to serve self. He calls us to an abandonment of self. That's the surrender. He's saying, you've got to trust me and go my way. It's no longer about you. It doesn't go your way. It's not about what everybody does around you. It's who you serve, and it's me. Now let's do it. That's the thing that God has called us to as Christians. 
This is not a religious experience. It's a life calling. It's a relationship based on the incredible love of God that calls us into this relationship in the first place. And when I'm in relationship with God, my heart desires to do what he wants. I've served self long enough, and self is terrible to serve. It's empty and broken. When you find Jesus and you say yes to him, there's a transformation that begins by the spirit that comes in us, that he gives to us. Look, there comes a moment when we have to decide that we're going to either do it or not. Many years ago, Kim and I, in our, early in our marriage, um, we, were, we got saved together when we were young. Uh, she was 18 and I was 19. And we gave our lives to Christ together. We got married one year later, uh, not because we had to, but because we chose to and to follow God. And we walked that journey together. And what we noticed early on was I would be on fire for God and celebrating Jesus, and she would kind of be like lukewarm. And then she would get real excited about serving Jesus, and I would be like lukewarm. And this little yo-yo act was going on. And so one day we just sat down at the kitchen table. It was before any of our kids were born or anything. And we are like, hey, we're either in this or not. We're either going to go for it or we're not. No more of this wishy-washy stuff. Let's, let's go all in. And we made a decision together. I want you to know that it wasn't like a big emotional fast. It wasn't like the Spirit of God showed up in our house and there was flaming fire. None of that. It was just like, we're in. We made a decision that her and I together were going to be all in for Jesus. And everything in our lives changed from that day forward. It did. I want you to know things changed. And it's because we decided we'd do it God's way. Well, hello. Hello. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? Not about me any longer. It's about him. And if it's about him and my marriage and our relationship together, it's going to go in the right direction. That's the way it works. Okay, let's read what Jesus said here. John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Oh. So obedience is required. See, we're not talking about a salvation by acts. Like some people, I've, I've had them talk to me like, you believe in salvation by works? I'm like, I absolutely don't believe that. The Bible clearly teaches salvation is a gift. And it's nothing we've earned, nor can we earn it. It's something God has done for us, and he gives it to us. Here's what I do know. Once we receive that gift, that incredible gift of love that God has bestowed upon us calls us into serving him, requires us to work for him, expects us to be a servant to those around us. So it's a response to, it's not an earning of. Church, if we're not responding to, then we don't know what we're in relationship with. And so as we look at what he says, he says, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, they love, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Look at that. I mean, there's something incredible right here, church, that as we see the scriptures teach us, our obedience to God is based on the love relationship that he has given to us, right? That's what he just told us. And in that relationship of love and obedience comes a revelation of Jesus more and more to us. Jesus said, you're going to know me more. I will reveal myself to you in this walk when you respond in that relationship in obedience. So you want to know Jesus more? Do what he says. The more you do what he says, the more you'll know him because he's going to reveal himself to you. And the way that happens is no longer being about me, but being about him. And when it's about him, more of him is seen, more of him is known, and it's all about him. And it's an amazing, amazing gift that God has given to us. Incredible stuff right there. So good. So good, man. So it is in our actions of obedience, in response to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that we know Jesus more and more in relationship growth. It's biblical. Can't deny it. So this is how we become a servant-hearted, spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. That's the way it happens. So as we're walking on this journey with Jesus, this surrender of self is based on love. 
Now, love, we've taught this before. I'm not reteaching this, but it's important that we hear it because you see, love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion. Our culture thinks it is. That's why people are in and out of love so much. Love is not. See, God is love. Therefore, God's not an emotion or a feeling. He is. And so love is a commitment. That's what love really is. Love is a commitment. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, right? So that you could choose to decide to follow him or not. That's love. It just openly gives itself. So it's not about a feeling. It's about a commitment. So when Kim and I got married many years ago, I had a lot of feelings for her, a lot of emotions involved, right? Because the world teaches us that that's what love is, and so I was pursuing her with my emotions, desiring her. We get married while we find Jesus. We get married. I have a lot of emotions and feelings in my relationship with Jesus in the beginning, and I believe God does that for us. I do. He, he like draws us and has that touch and it's awesome and I'm feeling excited about him. But then there's days I wake up and I don't have those feelings. God hasn't changed. My relationship with him hasn't changed. It's still a love relationship. Church, would you please hear that? Just because I don't feel anything doesn't mean anything has changed. Love isn't about that feeling. Love is the commitment to the relationship. So it's mirrored in that marriage that I have with Kim. So when Kim and I made a commitment to be married to one another, we took a pledge before God, made a covenant to one another and with him that we would stay together till death do us part. For rich or poor, good and bad, sickness, health. Oh, so it's not just what feels right in the moment. Uh -uh. It's saying I'm in this all the way through. And so here's the key to that. See, the only way that a relationship will work is when both people understand that they come into something and there's expectations and there's boundaries and this is the way it works. And when you're in that and you're doing it, that is love. That is love in action. And it has nothing to do with feelings. So I said this in the last service, so I want to tell you right now that Kim and I are more in love than we've ever been. We will be married, and I'm not just speaking for her. We say this to one another regularly. In September, we'll be married for 40 years, which is crazy, I know, because, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but we're more in love than ever, and I'm going to speak on my part and tell you that there's less feelings in our relationship than that there's ever been, which is amazingly awesome. I'm serious. That doesn't mean I don't feel anything for her. Absolutely, I do. But what I'm saying is, is that the relationship that we have is so much deeper now that it's not about like how I feel about you today or how you make me feel today. It's the fact that we're together. I know you're committed. You know I'm committed. We're in this thing, and we're in it together forever. See, there is where love truly is, and there is security in that relationship. Now listen, church, because it's really important. You see, through the years of our marriage, it always hasn't felt good. I'm not speaking out of order here. Like, you, we're going to be real transparent and real with you. Like, one time a month, there's this week that happens <laughs> that, um, that some people in the house maybe are a little more hard to live with <laughs> than they are the other weeks of the month. That doesn't mean we're not in love. That doesn't mean I don't love her. She doesn't love me. That means something else is happening in that moment that has nothing to do with our relationship. You hearing me, church? Seriously. All right. Now, let's travel forward in that because, you know, I sat my boys down as they got older, not old. I mean, they were young. And I'm like, look, I want you to know something. Your mother is not normal for this week of the month. Just know that, all right? You know, I meant it, I said it a lot nicer than that, but anyway. I, <laughs> she knows this too. I didn't do it behind her back. Like Peter and James were like, hey, you know, John and James were like, Jesus. No, I was like, so I'm going to talk to him. Don't worry. All right, so let's move forward now. So see what God does is he's, he's taking us and he's saying, do you love her? And he's saying to her, do you love him more than how you feel? Is, is your relationship based on only how you feel in the moment, or is it a relationship based in love? Now, 
once a month, once a month for years, you deal with that, right? And I don't mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I hope you hear what I'm saying. And then you step into menopause. <laughs> she will maybe have an opportunity to talk to you later about whatever my issues are, but right now I'm going to talk about hers. So, so like, here's what God's doing with Dave. He's like, look, I've been giving you a week, a month to prepare for this. <laughs> Now you're going to live in it for several years. (laughs) Do you love her? Do you trust me? I'm being serious, church. We need to understand this. See, like one of the problems that I know that the church has had in the past, they don't even talk about real life stuff. And it's like God's real and he's talking to us about stuff. And this is talking about serving others, servanthood, relationship based in love. Do you know how many people get divorced and separate when someone goes into a midlife crisis or a menopause thing or something. It's like, you know, I am not being around this craziness. I'm out. It's ridiculous. It's because we don't know the basis of our relationship in the first place. Now, my wife's sitting some, right there. Yes, I knew you were over somewhere. I didn't see you in your normal seat, but she's right there. So I'm not worried about going home. Like some of her are like, dude, you are so dumb. I'm like, no, she's used to me. This is <laughs> but I want you to know that like we together navigated through that thing because we are committed to each other, right? No different than when she went through cancer. Like we went through that together with God. It's no different than now that our son has cancer and we're just in the beginning journey of that. We're going to go through that together. We're doing it with them. You see, church, here's the thing. What we're talking about here is the transformation of heart. If it's all about me, then I'm like, you can take that little basket of yourself over there and go do something with it. That's not what it's about. It's like seeing the need, understanding where it comes from, and then try and meet that need. This is what God does. He transforms us. So here's the reason I even bring that up. Because, see, in the relationship with God, a lot of times people base their relationship on God on how they feel today. And because they're going through a life crisis of whatever it may be, a menopausal experience in your spiritual life, let's do it that way, (laughs) that all of a sudden we feel neglected or unloved by God and that something's wrong in the relationship and it's like, no, wait a minute, man, do you trust him or not? Are you submitted to what he says to us? And do you know that he loves you? God loves you. He loves you when you're in menopause or out of it. He loves you if you've been diagnosed with cancer or you are cancer-free. God loves you no matter what. Do you know that that is the commitment that he's made to us? And so church is like, man, we should celebrate that and step in fully. I want that life experience where I know that I am loved and that I'm being loved no matter what it feels like. And so when I step into that relationship, I get it. I'm like, oh, the world doesn't revolve around Dave. I always thought it did. Well, I thought it's supposed to. I didn't think it was doing it, but I mean, people should wake up because here I am. You know what I'm saying? And like that life sucks. It's miserable because you're never satisfied. Then you step into this life. God does a transformation. He plants his spirit inside of you and you're like, wow, I see things different. I used to not like people. Now I love them. I'm serious. I did not like people. I didn't like any of y'all. And then Jesus came and it's like, oh, I see them different now. See, it's not about me. Because all I was doing is projecting my pain on you and making you the one that caused me the afflictions I felt inside. You see, it was all about self. When we surrender to Jesus, he transforms us from the inside. So let's move on. We're done. Here's your action steps. Have you repented of your sin, turned to God, been baptized, spirit-filled, and are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're not, today's the day. Seriously, you cannot exist out there without him. It is a mess. There is no hope out there. There is no hope out there. I don't care what person gets elected to what office, what economic things happen in the future. There's no hope out there outside of Jesus. Church, we need to see that. We need to understand that and submit to him because that's what gives us the foundation to be the people of God that he's called us to be. Let's do it. Now, the next one is this. What is the Holy Spirit revealing to you about your walk with God? 
The, the accountability question at the beginning of the service when I say, do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? He is saying something to you. Here's the moment where we say, what is it that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you about your walk with God? Not like what's happening in the world. We're not asking for your prophetic vision. I don't mean that wrong. Hear me out. What I'm saying is, what is God speaking to you about by the Holy Spirit's movement about your walk with Him? Last one. What is it you need to be obedient to in order to take the next step in your becoming more like Jesus? What is it? Would you stand with me? We do altar calls here. When I ask you if you want to come to the altar, I'm saying, would you step out of your seat and walk to the front of the church? It's not because this is a magical place. It's not because you're closer to me. Well, by all means, not. It's like making a statement saying, like, I'm going to step out. I'm going to be uncomfortable with myself, but I am surrendering to God in this moment. So I'm going to step out of my seat. I'm going to come before God, and I'm going to deal with what the Holy Spirit's dealing with me about right here, right now, and we're subtle in the issue. See, it's not one of those things where I hear it. I'm saying, amen, yeah, we'll do something about that later and go on and don't do anything. Otherwise, we already know where we are. We're not going to do nothing. We're going to be choked out. This is like a moment of application that God is inviting us into where we take a step into Him. Would you do that? Thank you for those who are coming, those that are here. We're inviting you. Holy Spirit's calling. Would you listen? Respond to Him, would you today? Father, we love you. We're so humbled, Holy Spirit, by what you do. God, I know that there are people here that are going through stuff, but God, you're bigger than all that. Holy Spirit, move, stir, call, convict, empower, lead, guide, direct. Do everything Jesus said you would do. Do it right here, right now with us, God. Online, in the house, everywhere. Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God. You're amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, church. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for being open to hear God's message. Please allow that, that truth to penetrate the heart and soul, be transformed. God bless you, you're dismissed. Be honored and respectful of these that are praying and uh, just give them that space they need. Thank you, God bless you. He's so good to us, thank you, Lord.